And welcome to the POD cast, your Detroit Lions best podcast out there. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right off the top. We're the best podcast out there. <clears throat> Hell yeah, brother. By Pride of Detroit, uh, the SB Nation site for your Detroit Lions. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor of said website, prideofdetroit.com, and the interim coach of this podcast, the POD cast. This is your first time. Welcome. Hopefully you'll stay a while. I've already told you it's the best Lions podcast, so you shouldn't be going anywhere. Uh, but with me, uh, as my co-pilot and property of the Detroit Lions, apparently, according to the sweatshirt he's wearing, Ryan Matthews. Wait for it. At Ryan P- underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan, how are we doing tonight? Uh, I'm feeling like I'm the property of something else. Yeah, it's Oscars night, and I see you're wearing uh, NFL gear made by NFL. That's yeah. It's <laughs> do you, very. Do you want to talk about your outfit tonight? Um. Yeah, we can talk about my outfit. So the Lions are a football team. Uh huh. Wait, like the circus animal? They were playing a game. <laughs> Everybody, stop! Enough. Stop what you're doing and go watch. I think you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are in for a treat today because we have a very special podcast. Not only is it just a it's a a duo a a, a, a duet if you will. Uh but we have an extended mailbag. We are going two seg two full segments this week of mailbag because you guys came through in the clutch yeah. on Twitter and on prideofdetroit.com. We have a ton of questions that we're all going to get to about the draft, about some interesting hypotheticals about Darius Slay, whole bunch of fun stuff coming up. Um, but first, we're going to kick things off with a little XFL talk against my better judgment because it's it's wrestling adjacent, so I'm a little afraid of where this conversation might go. Um, but the XFL debuted this weekend, um, mostly to positive reviews. I saw a bunch of it, not all of it, but uh, as much as I could. And uh, I have some thoughts. Ryan, I know you've got a little bit of thoughts as well. Um, do you want to start or should I start? Um, well, I should start by mentioning the best thing that happened all weekend long. And it was the DC Defenders flea flicker play that resulted okay. in a touchdown. It was not a flea flicker in its normal man-made design. You know, just a, a tip. My anti-flea flicker brigade is about the regular hand the ball off have him pitch it back to the quarterback and he throws it. That doesn't work in the NFL anymore. Now oh. you're seeing teams get fancy with their flea flickers and they're starting to work because they know the old flea flicker sucks. Oh, it, it sucks, but it just works in the NFL, like against the Packers. No, I don't, I don't remember that. <laughs> okay, so Jeremy doesn't like traditional flea flickers, but he's into the variations of them. That's, that's, that's all good and well. But, I mean, Cardell Jones, huh? Big game mm-hmm. for him in the very first week. His sure. offense puts up 31 points. That's impressive. Yeah. And he, I think he had two or three touchdowns. Yeah. Two touchdowns, 116 passer rating. Um, the, the thing about the XFL is I really feel like, and I don't know if this was intentional or just good luck. They front loaded the schedule and that was really smart. The Saturday games, which was the Seattle Dragons versus the D- DC Defenders and the LA Wildcats versus the Houston Roughnecks. Um, those games were both very entertaining and they had a couple of familiar names who performed fairly well. Um, and so I think they hit it off, you know, they, they kind of knocked it out of the park right off the bat. And then you get to Saturday's games, which combined scored, they each 26 and 24 points in total in both games. So they combined for 50 points total, whereas both of the other games surpassed 50 on their own. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and and I'm not here to say like a high scoring game equals better entertainment, but the play of the game was certainly a little more exciting in Saturday's games. And that worked out in their favor um, because I think, you know, first impressions are are a big deal when you're starting a new league like this. And, and that's going to carry over despite kind of a, I don't know. I don't want to say boring Sunday because there were some interesting things that happened, but um, in terms of, in terms of actual gameplay overall, I would say it was certainly on par with the AAF. I saw a lot of people say it's, it was way better than the AAF. And I don't think I can completely agree with that, but it was definitely a little bit better. You're not, you're not ready to go all in on the XFL because I don't, is it because it's wrestling a Jace? (laughs) I'm not a huge Vince McMahon fan. I'm not going to lie. So Shocker. I am coming in maybe a little more skeptical than than the typical viewer. 
Um, I'm also not one to that, that necessarily suffers from uh, NFL deficiencies in February. Call me in in April or May and and I might sing differently. So I I thought the timing of the league was weird, but everything kind of hit this weekend. I'm not going to lie. I was impressed with a lot of things. I think the, the big kind of catchy thing was the new kickoff and coming from someone who thinks kickoffs should be eliminated completely. They kind of won me over with this new kickoff. It's, it's definitely, you know, there's, there's no doubt that it cuts down on high impact complete collisions uh, with both teams starting five yards apart, way deep in territory. If you haven't seen it, I can't remember the exact yard lines, but the kicker kicks the ball while the coverage team is, on, I would say like the opponent's 35 and the, the recovery team is on the 30. So they're literally just, you know, five yards apart and they can't move until the, the receiver uh, catches the ball. And so it, it looks really weird, really awkward. Doesn't look like football, but it worked. It, I don't think there was a big kickoff return, but you can see the potential of, of a big play again. And that's what I think the NFL is missing with their kickoffs is touchback, touchback, touchback. No big gains. Um, they, they've taken the, you know, destructive element in terms of to the players' bodies, but they also seem to have taken out the big plays. And this play seems to have done both in that it's safer and it's still a little bit exciting. So um, I think that's a big win for them. Yeah, I think it rids them of those big nasty collisions they wanted to get rid of. But at the same time, I don't know if I see it as a potential big play producer just because with, 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 with the coverage team so close to the, to the receiving team, it seems like things are going to get immediately kind of stuffed up. Like, I don't think that there's really an opportunity for lanes to be created, but uh, it definitely looked interesting. Like the optics of it, because it, it, I mean, let's just say that I think your larger point is in the NFL, it's just touchback after touchback after touchback. I mean, we saw some teams this season, especially if the lions try to like kick it short, right. Force teams to return the ball. But for the most part, it's a pretty meaningless play. It's, it's a pretty actionless play. And at least with the XFL, it gave you some sense of, well, could happen, might happen. So I I guess it did accomplish that in, uh, in and of its own. But the one other thing, one other thing I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. um, as far as big time player performances, we saw my boy Marquette King, who I was most excited <laughs> for. Right, the perfect yes. punt, literally the most perfect punt I think I've ever seen in my entire life. That <laughs> ball should have been 15 yards deep into the end zone from where it hit, and it just ends up gliding along the one yard line through the returner's legs. Yep. Just to have his own coverage man roll into the end zone with it. I thought Pat McAfee was going to have an aneurysm on air. It was the perfect storm. for like They couldn't have scripted a better happenstance for Pat McAfee to be on the game. Because <laughs> if you didn't see what happened, Ryan laid it out pretty clearly. But Pat McAfee was going nuts for every punt in this game. He's going nuts at this one. He's like, you got to have your punter bail you out. And he's like getting all excited as it's rolling across the one yard line. And when it bounces through that returner's legs, the guy who's coming in to down it thinks that it touches his leg and he just comes barreling in and tries to, to recover it. it, goes through the end zone. He doesn't even recover it. And my favorite, <laughs> even part, grab it. my favorite part about that whole thing is that the guy who messes up, you know, he just got his ass chewed out by the coach, right? Of course he did. So he, you go they they cut to him he's sitting on the sideline stewing you can see like the thousand yard stare where he's just pissed off he wants to murder the next person that he sees and pat mcafee comes right into the screen (laughs) he's like hey man what's like he just tore apart this guy on the broadcast unbeknownst to him and he comes in and says he's like hey man what happened He's just like, yeah, I thought the guy touched it. He's like, that makes complete sense. And then McAfee was gone. He's like, all right, I got to get you. Like, he could read the situation. This guy's pissed off. I got to get out of here. He's like, yep, makes sense. Bye. <laughs> you could hear him go, Woo! little cartoon effect. <laughs> but I mean, that, that kind of brings up another cool part about the XFL. Yeah. And it's some, it's not something that they necessarily come up with, came up with. The AAF had a lot of on-field audio too. But the instant 
sideline interviews is is kind of fascinating you know they they interviewed a kicker right after he missed a kick which is something you would never get um (laughs) during one of today's games they were going to interview a guy who recovered a fumble but he recovered like he recovered it for a touchdown so he had to go right back out there because the defense was right back out there again so like they put the microphone up to him and he's like sorry i gotta go and he ran off screen that's awesome though i love that yeah, it's it's fun, entertaining moments that they interviewed a guy who got an interception and it was kind of a really cool emotional moment because he was catching his breath and he goes, man, I haven't caught one since 2015 with the Texans. It's like, that's a really cool moment to like see the realization come on his face as he's realizing it. I haven't done this in five years. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. The, the, those in, in-game moments are pretty cool to, to get, you know, the player's immediate reaction to. I think that yeah. that's something that... I think we can all agree that the NFL would never do. Yep. <laughs> I think that, that I, I think that the league in and of itself just kind of does everything. It, it, it does everything it can to not. And, and this is, this was always Chris's big stepping point, right? Like the league does everything it can to like not market players, but to market like franchises. And I don't think that they want to have players having that kind of autonomy and, you know, you know, agency to, to, to do those things until they get a chance to comb through the audio right, and, go then, over the and then yeah. give it to you. Right. Yeah. Like that's it, what I was going to say. Cause like yeah. NFL films are fantastic. Like that, that Patrick awesome. Mahomes thing that went, went viral this week after the Super Bowl of him, like call basically calling that third and 15 play was amazing. That's great mm-hmm. stuff. And, and to, I mean, imagine if you could have seen that live. Imagine. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that, that's really cool. Um, it makes me think of, do you remember uh, that manager for the Mets that got thrown out of the game and they had him all mic'd up and it was just <laughs> cursing and it was, it was all yeah. uncaught and it was raw. Like that's what, that's what it made me think of when I, when I first started seeing some of the interviews for the XFL, I was like, you're going to get some player who's going to say something and slip up. Cause they're in the middle of a heated yep. contest. Like they're going to, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we got we got a live f bomb, and and between this and Matt Patricia mic'd up at the Senior Bowl, like someone needs to pay the ESPN or, or needs to hire maybe someone else. That yeah, the hot button guy because <laughs> they they they've got a worn out finger basically over the past two weeks, and and obviously they let a couple slip by. Oh yeah. Um, but it, well, speaking of kind of the on field audio, what are your thoughts about like the the live play calling? Like you, the, there's. Not only is are the players getting interviewed, but the coaches are are hot mic'd when they're calling plays. They're hot mic'd, um, you know, after plays. They're they're getting interviewed in the middle of games. Um, it, is, is that something that that you feel is as is as entertaining or, or necessary? I guess as some of the other stuff in this broadcast. Um, I almost kind of viewed it as being a little bit too extra. Yeah. From when I was watching yesterday, it, it seemed like I just. It, it was really great to hear the kicker's thoughts right after he missed the kick. You know, it was interesting, like that that player uh, who had the interception and he came to that realization live on air. That stuff all seemed really fun, even if it was sometimes at people's expenses. But like, <laughs> I just wasn't interested in like hearing like the play calls before the play happened or yeah. there was something that kind of took the shine off of I don't know, just the surprise element. Yeah, right. Because you, I think we've all become so used to watching football kind of from the defensive point of view where it's Mm -hmm. like, we don't know what's coming. We're, you know, maybe we bite on the play action too. Sometimes the camera guy bites on play action too. So I I get what you're saying. Like sometimes, and a lot of times Mm -hmm. you'll hear the play call and you have no idea what it is, but sometimes the, the announcers do and they'll be like, all right, so look for this one to be a run to the left. And I like... It, it's it's split for me because I definitely have that same feel, feeling of like the surprise is gone, but I also feel like I'm learning stuff by hearing what the play calls and be, ex, being explained what they are and and how a play call is like divided into. All right, this part of the play calls for the offensive line. This part of the play calls for the wide receivers. This part is for you know motion and things like that and things I didn't really know as, as someone who never played um, organized football beyond middle school. <laughs> Yeah, it it was almost kind of eerily reminiscent of um Oh man, I'm totally blanking on what I was going to say. Uh 
Yeah, no, it, 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 it oh, uh, Tony Romo. It was a little yeah. bit of like oh, the yeah. Tony Romo syndrome, right? It was yep. a little bit of, it's cool to hear it, but at a certain time, it's like, Tony, shut it off. Like, yeah, we don't right. want to know that it's going to be a run play to the left. And yeah, yeah you're super smart. We get it. Like, you, <laughs> your football intelligence is off the charts. But yeah, so it, it had a little bit of that Tony Romo. Like, I'm cool with it, but also at the same time, it's like, shut up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I definitely feel the same way. Um, can I tell you that I've already found a team? I'm yes. Who are they? Well, it, it goes back to a lot of factors. They they obviously have the best team name. Their logo is pretty solid. They're in a city that deserves a football team again, and they celebrated their big upset win today with a bunch of Bud Light seltzers that they were shotgunning in the locker room. <laughs> I'm talking about your St. Louis Battlehawks. Yeah, I'm all in on the Battlehawks too because they have Marquette King. <laughs> Marquette King and a quarterback that you would like. Your kind of quarterback, I would say. All right. Okay. In Jordan Tamu, who 20 of 27 for 209 yards, pretty good debut. Not a ton of deep passes for him in this game, but um, you know, I, I, I love a good underdog story. They were like nine point dogs in this game, which. I don't know how you can even set a line on games like this, but they did. And you saw them on every single broadcast, which is another interesting aspect of the XFL. Um, but yeah, I, for all those reasons and the fact that, you know, they, they have some players that are, that are interesting. I thought Tom was an interesting guy to watch. I do love Marquette King just about uh, he. If I love, if I just said that I love Marquette King, you know that I truly do because I've never said that about a punter ever. Marquette King should still be kicking in the NFL. I don't know why he's not. It's pretty weird, right? I feel like he might get a new opportunity. And I mean, he, he had some bombs today. I don't, I don't know if there are any official punting stats. I can't seem to find them on XFL's website, but yeah. um, he, he was, he was knocking them along. Okay. 45.2 punt average, which doesn't seem to really, uh, let's see if I can find the actual lengths of some of these puns. Well, so I, I think just the, I think one of the interesting things of itself on a, on a macro level before we get to these awesome punting stats that you're <laughs> bringing up uh-huh. is that it does seem like the game is really catering to speed and it wants to be a fast game. Obviously, I think in the, in, in these early stages, there are a lot of, I think schematic things that are getting worked out. I think maybe some of the warts that the AAF also had are kind of, you know, showing themselves. It's definitely not a perfect product, but with that being said, I think the rules provided some extra promise, especially, you know, going for one, two or three on extra points. There was that interesting wrinkle to it. So Mm -hmm. I think that there are, I think that on, like I said, on a macro level, there are a lot of really good ideas that are being implemented. And I think that those ideas are being implemented with, an idea for a very fast paced sport. And I think that's what everybody wants to see. There were even some hits that kind of made me feel uncomfortable though. Yeah. You know, like hits that, you know, players in the NFL would not only get flagged, but might even be like a review for targeting and things like that, that drew no penalty flags. Yeah. I mean, there, there were some, you know, personal foul flags and I I think they're going to try to keep player safety as, as a focus and not become just like what, you know, some gimmicky, like hard hitting football league. I, I, I don't, I don't think they're trying to be that, but I do want to talk more about the speed because it's, it's maybe the one thing that I had an issue with actually. Um, so the, the big change is that they move from the 40 second game clock to the 25 second game clock. And a lot of times um, the, the clock would run again after an incomplete pass. Once the ball is set, same with going out of bounds. Um, my issue with it is one, it didn't do one of its primary objectives, which was shorten the game. All mm. of these games ran about three hours anyways. Um, whether, and, and they even shortened halftime too. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing that I had an issue with is it forced teams to go kind of no huddle ish. And that meant the viewing experience was worse because it meant less replays. 
because the I mean you're, you're putting the broadcast crew in a really tough position where they want to tell the story of the game, but if the team is rushing to the play right away for the next play, you're not getting a lot of replays. You're not getting a lot of, I mean, you might get one replay if you're lucky. You're definitely not getting two. And so that makes it a worse viewing experience. I mean, I have to watch one play as it runs and that's the last time I'm going to see it. And I'm never going to see another angle. I'm never going to see if, you know, if his foot was in and things like that, um, unless it gets reviewed um, by the booth. It's, it's tough. I don't, I don't like that. I don't, and, and teams don't appear to be adjusted to it yet because I, because a lot of them still do huddle and then they're hurrying to the line and then, you know, everything's a little messy Mm -hmm. and it wasn't too bad, but I don't know. I, I'm not of the belief that a football game that's completely in no huddle is a better football game, especially to watch. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there might be an element of things are kind of moving too quickly uh, and, and not letting, some things breathe, but uh, I, I think overall it was a really, I think it was a really good experiment, and yeah. I'm interested to see where it, I'm interested to see where it goes from here. I'm not ready to totally jump on board and grab a team or anything like that, but I uh, I definitely am definitely You're intrigued. Hawk. You're a battle hawk. Just admit it. I, all right, probably. All right, Ryan's a battle hawk. I'm a battle hawk. Thus ends our XFL recap for week one. Um, we might get into more XFL talk going forward, but for this podcast, it's all about the mailbag next. We got two segments of your mailbag questions, including some draft rumors, some hypotheticals, some so a little bit of everything. So make sure you stick, stay around, stick to stay tuned. We got a whole bunch of Lions talk coming next. Thanks for sticking through our XFL talk. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail's here. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mailbag. Hashtag AskPOD. If you have any questions for us throughout the week, you can throw it in our Twitter feed. I will take note. I'm always looking to grab some good questions. And when you guys come through like you did this week, we reward you with extra mailbag. Bonus mailbag. Two segments worth of Detroit Lions mailbag just for you guys doesn't have anything to do with the fact that there's nothing else to talk about right now. It's because you guys were great. (laughs) Are you ready for this, Ryan? You got to saddle up. We got a lot of questions ahead of us. I'm going to answer all of them to the best of my ability. Like a true professional. Can you put your hand up and swear? Like you've got the other one over a Bible. God damn it. <laughs> oh, you meant um, like oh I mean uh yeah uh tell that, the truth. that's not the kind of swearing I might put. <laughs> I gotta keep this blasphemous podcast rolling. All right. Our first question comes from CC5 
from our Pride of Detroit comments section. He asked, if you suddenly inherited $40 billion, like Mr. Deeds, would you buy the Detroit Lions? And if so, what changes as an owner would you make? Hex to the no. <laughs> you want to buy the Detroit Lions so that I have to put up with everybody putting my face on t-shirts telling me to sell the team? <laughs> Instantly become instantly become one of the most vilified people in the entire state of Michigan. Why why would I want to draw that type of ire onto myself? <laughs> that is exactly the right answer. And I mean, I don't want to take the the boring answer too. It's just like, well, come on. If you had forty million dollars, I'd hope you'd do something a little better for the entire world than <laughs> than buy a football team. Although it's probably a good investment, even with a team like the Lions, which is like constantly either the 30th or 31st most valuable team in the NFL. But yeah, yeah no, I, I, the shirt, I really don't want shirts with my face on it in any instance. Yeah. And I, I don't, just, I don't think the public does either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think everybody, I don't think I, I, I just don't want to be a bad guy in everybody's eyes. Like, come on. Oh, wait. Also, uh, let's, let's just play the inverse. So you do buy the, Detroit Lions because someone forces you like it's part of the condition of taking the $40 billion like you in the will at least says, 30 billion on it on the on buying the team you have to buy the Detroit Lions okay <laughs> the first thing I change I bring back black jerseys oh my god well yeah you're the next week you're gonna have shirts with your face on it well and I'm going to be wearing one <laughs> <laughs> For real though, I would change like the jerseys. I think the Lions really? have some of the worst jerseys in the NFL. Really? Yeah, I I've never I went to the jersey reveal. You were still living in California at the time. True. True. And I remember them walking out and me just going, "Oh. <laughs> okay. I can't tell what number that is from 50 feet away, but Yeah. Cool. I honestly, I think a, a lot of the changes I would make would be kind of cosmetic too, but more geared towards the player. So like upgrading the locker room with like, I don't know, like I see all the shit that college teams do and I don't see any of that in the NFL. I want to make like a luxury locker room that, that players get excited about. Same with like I, just upgrading the facilities. That's that's my main focus if I'm an owner right now. And and Bob Quinn has done a little bit of that already in terms of like getting a dietitian. I know they put a lot of work into the field um, and that sort of stuff. But like, I I think it I think it needs more. Yeah, yeah. I think that my I think my own father would disown me if I bought the Lions and didn't open up the roof. Oh so. really? No, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm, I'm you're making gonna, a bunch make of all the boomers. boomers happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, all right. A related question, a follow-up from critical perspective, also uh, from our private Detroit chat. Um, he says, would you rather be the coach of the GM or the owner? And let's assume that you get five years, at least five years at whatever position you choose. Man, do you have an answer for this? I do. This it's easy. It, it's very easy for me. Okay. What is it? General manager. The, the coaching hours are ridiculous at any coaching position. I would not want that upon anyone. GM, you just kind of get to, I mean, you don't get to chill all year, but I love player uh, personnel. Like, just, I, I love being able to evaluate personnel. That's what, like, if I could just watch film all day, yeah, I would love that. And yes, you, you still see a very big brunt of criticism, um, but I would say between, at least in Detroit's history, I would say the GM gets the least of it between the GM, the coach, and the owner. So yeah, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, unless your name was Matt Millen. True. Then people say nasty things about you even when your heart Fair is point. giving out. Fair <laughs> counterpoint. <laughs> uh, I think that I would go the same route though because like you said, the coach just has... Well, A, who knows how long you're going to get. You might only get one season. Well, in this hypothetical, you're getting at least five. Those are f- going to be five stressful years as the coach. <laughs> I can't uh, honestly. Head coach of an NFL team seems like nine point nine out of ten on the stress level of any jobs. Like it, it can never not be. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Like there's too many moving pieces. There's too much pressure to stay ahead of the curve. I know in this scenario you get five years, but. <clears throat> 
the way that you have to adapt and like continuously like evolve and better yourself. Oh yeah. man, no thanks. Like just let me pick players. Not to mention like leading a whole group of 53 players with different personalities and all that sort of, all the drama that comes with that. Uh, I couldn't do it. Like just put me in a room by myself and let me watch film for seven hours. I'm a happy person. Yeah. That means you have to watch college football though. And I'm just like, nah, nah, there's, there's, there's worse things. There's the CFL. That's Sorry, true. That, oh boy. <laughs> Do you think do you think any players are legitimately going to go from XFL to NFL? Like one. <laughs> Marquette maybe. King. <laughs> maybe. St. Louis is going to lose their punter. <laughs> no, from the X No, I think I think XFL players will get a chance. A lot of people were very skeptical that the AAF some AAF, AAF players would make that jump, but then a bunch did. So yeah, I would I would say a good dozen will probably do it. That's going to be a really tough turnaround, don't you think? Oh yeah, on their bodies for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. By the time by the time their season's wrapping up, it's it's almost go time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to some questions about the draft. We've got a bunch of questions about trades because everyone loves trade talk. So let's get into that. Uh, from Twitter, and I made it so small. I can't remember, at Zurich Zerkes Rocks, he asks: Is there any chance someone trades up to the number two overall pick for a quarterback so you know we can get Chase? Now, this is where we need to talk about the rumor from Benjamin Albright that um, he said the Lions were in contact. There's been other rumors out there that said, um, you know, that that Washington is in in contact. Um, I would say hold it on those rumors and don't buy too much into them because everyone's talking at this point. But do you see it as a possibility, like a realistic possibility that either the Lions have convinced someone like the Dolphins that they're interested in Tua and they need to be jumped or the fact that Washington isn't, is, is maybe more interested in accumulating picks and getting a guy like Chase. Are you, are you buying any of that yet? I'm not buying any of that. I think the thing that I am buying is that if a team wants to move up and get Tua, the way that you can most assuredly do that is if you move all the way up to two literally the pick after Joe Burrow. Yeah. Going all the way up to two doesn't leave anything to chance. It guarantees you the player that you want, whoever it is, whether it's Tua or Justin Herbert or Chase. Jordan Love. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Sure. Why not? But that literally, I, I think that's the only, I think that's the only way I view this is that if a team wants to move up like Miami, say, they're not necessarily competing with the lions or they're not competing with Washington to get their guide. They're competing with the three or four other teams that are behind them that could potentially be wanting to move up. And the way that you guarantee that guy ending up on your team is paying the ultimate King's ransom to move all the way up to two. Now we have a, we have another question that kind of piggybacks off this a little bit, right? We do. We have a bunch. So, all right. It's from, from Alex, big Al tweets asks, would you rather get Chase Young at three or if he's not available, trade back and get Miami's picks at five and 26. So two of their, their first round picks. So here's the thing. If Chase Young is available at three or the prospect is, Hey, the dolphins called and they're offering five and 26. Yeah. Then are you worried about then? I I feel like I almost like that scenario better moving back to five and 26 and letting the dolphins come up to take their quarterback. Yeah. And then, you know what? It's up to the New York giants whose franchise is being run ass backwards as it is <laughs> to make the right pick and take chase young. Cause what if chase young slips to five because the giants go, Nope, we need oh, a left tackle. Yeah. We need a, we need a left tackle to block or a right tackle to block for our franchise running back that we're, putting all of these resources into. But, but I mean, the question here is then what happened at two? If, if we're trading down with the dolphins, that means the dolphins didn't trade up for two. So what the mm-hmm. hell happened at two? What did Washington do? So, Washington, I mean, Washington pulled a Minnesota. They forgot to make their pick <laughs> like that year that Mike Tice was their head coach. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. no, I mean, the maybe, may, maybe, maybe they go offensive tackle. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, 
I feel I feel pretty safe in saying there's no chance Chase Young falls to five. But if he's still on the board at three and the Lions trade down, that makes the the option of the trade down plus Jeff Okuda thing very, very realistic. Well, it makes it almost almost guaranteed. It makes it, yeah. yeah, it makes it highly probable that you're I mean, it guarantees you one of two players. You're getting either Derek Brown or you're getting Jeffrey Okuda. Right. And you're getting an extra first round pick. Yep. All right, let's move on to another question kind of on the same subject here. A lot of people want to talk trades and Chase Young. Um, and uh, Nick Husted, sorry if I pronounce that wrong, asked on Twitter this year, if we don't trade back or get Chase Young, is that a failure? Remember all of us were so keen on the idea of moving all the way up to two in the draft so that we could guarantee ourselves an opportunity to get Chase Young. If he falls in the Lions lap at three, and we're all taking the stance of, well, we'll just trade back and we'll get one of those nice consolation prizes. What happened to all that fervor that everybody yeah. had, you right. know, at the tail end of the season? Did it really all get derailed because of one bad game against Clemson? <laughs> oh, he wasn't good against Michigan either. Well, okay, Boomer. <laughs> but but I, I, I do think this is an inter- interesting question that's not that you didn't quite answer there is just like, say the lines take Jeff Okuda at three. What's your, what's your level of excitement? Disappointed. Did, did they fail? Chase Young goes to the lines have to either. I mean, Chase Young goes to everyone is screaming trade down at that point. Right. Pretty much. But what if they take a good, what if they take a defensive player? What if they take Jeff Okuda? They, they make sure that they get either Jeff Okuda or, or Derek Brown. It's kind of a different scenario, but I know after the Lions or after the Jaguars took Josh Allen last season mm-hmm. or in the in the draft last year, everybody at B Dubs was like, trade back, trade down. Mm-hmm. You know, on the off chance that Josh Allen was going to be there at eight, he would have been a slam dunk pick for the Lions. But at eight, there's like nobody on the board that's worth it. And everybody was hopeful. And then all of a sudden the pick was in within like a minute of yeah, lines being quick. on the clock. Yeah, <laughs> it was so quick, and everybody was like, oh, well, they must really like their guy, and then it ends up being TJ Hawkinson. I think that that could be a very real situation in which the Lions are on the clock at three. They've had months and months to prepare for Joe Burrow, Chase Young, whatever player they want at three, and they just take the guy that they've spent months watching film and months convincing themselves that they really like, because I think that's the same thing that happened in the the case with TJ last season. I think that they really liked Hawkinson. We heard about how much they liked Hawkinson. We knew they were in the market for a tight end, especially after all the Gronkowski rumors. He was clearly their guy. Yeah. He was clearly at least one of their guys. Now at eight, it's a little bit different than three. They might really key in and say, you know what? (laughs) I mean, we could talk about this a little bit later, but the Darius Slay stuff doesn't look very promising right now. Right. But But they might say Jeffrey Okuda is our guy. We're going to draft some come hell or high water. What do you think? I think if you come away with the draft with a top tier, we're talking top two defensive talent out of the draft, you can't call that a failure. You might be disappointed. You might have wanted more draft resources. You might have wanted more players in the first round if you could. But if you come out with Jeff Okuda and he's on the list at the end of the year of defensive rookie of the year, you won. You you did what you needed mm-hmm. to do. Um, and I I, I know it's going to be frustrating. I'm going to be a little frustrated on draft day if it if it works out that way. Um, I know a ton of other people will be, but you have to let it play out. And if you get if Jeff Okuda or Derek Brown or whoever the Lions grab there. At three, if they stand pat, you have to wait and see because they have. I mean, that whether they win or lose the draft is dependent fully on how the guy ends up playing out his career. If the Lions pick third overall, they have a really good chance at a blue chip player. And if they get it, you can't complain about it. You just can't. And so it'll be disappointing in the moment, but you got to, you got to sit it out. All right. All right I think we're going to do one more before we take ourselves to the break. This will be a, a, a more of a fun one. Um, our friend at, at Audible Dong, uh, whose name came directly from this podcast, 
asked, what are your guys' stories about how you got into sports writing and how did you end up at Pride of Detroit? Do you want to go first because you started here before I did? Sure. Um, so in 2008, I was going through a lot of football stress, as I imagine a lot of people in Detroit were. And so my idea to get through the tre- the stress was to write about the Detroit Lions on a website called studyofsports.com, which does not exist any longer, did not lo- last that long. I was part of like the inaugural crew. They were trying to do a thing like SB Nation, a writer for each, uh, each site. Um, so I tried to kind of bring in my sense of humor, do a little bit of analytic stuff. That's where On Paper was born, my preview series. Um, it became clear pretty soon it wasn't going to work out. So I started writing my previews in the Pride of Detroit uh, fan post section. <clears throat> and so every week I would do our, my on paper preview and some other stuff in the fan post section. Sean Yule, who ran the site from the beginning, started to notice. He started promoting some of the the fan posts to the front page. Then he offered me a non-paying job to just <clears throat> do it once or twice a week, write anything, uh, the previews, any other things I wanted to do. Then I started getting paid a little bit. And then when he stepped down three or four years ago, he I was first on his list of potential replacements and did an interview, landed the job, and, and that's where I'm at today. So it started out as kind of a hobby. It was part-time for the longest time. Um, it was I'm not getting paid for the longest time. So it was really just doing it for the fun of it. And then, you know, when the opportunity came, I jumped on it. That's it. That's a, that's a really good story. Thanks. You seem to admit anything about you posting on certain forums and message boards. <laughs> that did not have anything to do with my Detroit Lions writing career. It had something to do with your writing career. No, I don't think it did. <laughs> Oh, damn you all.net. We miss it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I got my start during the 2015 season because mm-hmm. it was the year that Sean stepped down. I was mm-hmm. the last group of people he hired, which included, I think, an alumni that can probably be put up against any other hiring class. <laughs> Myself. Uh, Solomon Williams was part of that. Yeah, who now I, works for the Detroit Lions, if you, yeah. if you don't know. Yeah, so he works with their public relations, right? Yep. Um, Chris Perfett was a hire. Kyle mm-hmm. Yost was a hire. I think we had a pretty good uh, pretty good hiring class. But Sean gave me a bunch of gifts on his way out. He did. He did. Um, so... Yeah, I hired in the 2015 season and I really just applied to Pride of Detroit because I saw a posting for it on Twitter and I was sitting on a pallet of Coke. Yeah, a pallet of 12 packs of Coca Cola <laughs> at my miserable Coca Cola job. I was in the back room of a Meyer on M59. And I remember editing a mock article about Ryan Broyles getting cut and <laughs> it eventually happened. and uh yeah so i got hired on as an editor and then even before i think the first week of football i started doing the weekly we had a sb nation had a deal with i think it was it wasn't DraftKings. i think it was FanDuel. they were doing Mm -hmm. like a FanDuel sponsored post every week and nobody wanted to write about fantasy football so i got my first i got my first opportunity to write and uh over 400 articles later, I'm here. Here we are. Were, were you part of the Pride of Detroit community in any way before that? Like, were you in the comment section or anything no, like that? No. Didn't have a username or anything, which I was like, huh, I don't, I don't know anything about this site. And now it's funny to see all the people that go to some form of an SB Nation site. Like my one of my friends who I, I work with at the high school, he goes to their UFC uh, mm-hmm. He goes to their UFC fight or their, yeah. Yeah, their UFC page all the time, and he didn't know that it was part of like the SB Nation. So, like yeah. when he found out that that was under the SB Nation domain, he's like, "Oh, wow, your job is actually kind of legitimate." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> Pride of Detroit, actually, kind of legitimate. Actually, kind of. We're gonna put that on the front page. Actually, kind of legitimate. <laughs> 
Uh, All right. When we come back, it's more, more mailbag. We're going to talk some Darius Slay. We're going to talk some wide receivers in the draft. Everyone wants that again, right? Yeah. And a couple more fun questions that we may, we may even get a little wrestling talk in. We'll see. So you better stick around. We'll be right back. Mailbag part two. We are taking more of your questions in this extended mailbag, stretching for two segments. Let's start off with a with a silly one. This this uh, this segment from our own Mansoor Shaheen asks, "Who's your second favorite bald person?" Ooh, my you, second favorite bald person. You have a first one that comes to mind. Yeah, they're just all wrestlers. <laughs> when I, it's weird. The very first bald person that came to mind, and he, I wouldn't put him under the top twenty-five. Is like Mark Messier. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> That's such a weird place it's for your very brain. Random. Immediately jump to. Yeah. Um. I'm going to say this wasn't supposed to be the invitation to to talk about wrestling, by the way, that's coming later. Well, okay. But real quick, I would say that my second favorite bald person is probably the rock. Wow. Second place. Yeah. He's, he's first in a lot of hearts. I know. I know your power ranking system actually goes one Vin Diesel to the rock. So we actually have the, we have the same one. All fast and furious list. (laughs) That list is fast and it is furious folks. Oh Lord! If you don't know, if you don't know, Jeremy won. Was it summer? Did you marathon all of the Fast and Furious movies in one sitting? Yes, I had never seen a Fast and Furious movie, and with my good buddy, who's probably listening either now or at some point, uh, marathon the first seven. I can't. I can't even say all of them now because there's been there's already been one since the the Calvin and Hobbes. I know that's not what it's called, but that's what I continue to call it. (laughs) Hobbes and Shaw. And then there's another one coming out with, I, and I'm not, I'm not watching those. I, I did my seven mo- and it was the worst thing I've ever done. You but served your time. I, I yeah, exactly. <laughs> I served my time. I will never watch another Fast and Furious movie again. Um, Coward. No. It, it's, it was traumatizing. I don't have an answer for this, by the way. You don't Heinz have Ward. an answer for this? Heinz Ward. He's cool. It's a lame answer. Golden Tate. Golden Tate ball. Golden Tate's ball, right? No. He's. If you shave your head, are you considered bald? Um. Yes. Okay. Larry, Larry David. That's a good answer from chat. Although he's not really. I don't. Do he you still have it going on the sides? Yeah. Does that still count as bald? Because you're bald on top. You're balding. But if you have the sides, I don't know if that counts. If you have the Gallagher, <laughs> kids, look, look up who Gallagher is. You're, you're too young. Look up. No, do a better job. Look up who Black Gallagher is. <laughs> Dave Remember Chappelle? that? Chappelle yes. show sketch is so good. Yes. <laughs> All right. I, I tease this a little bit. Let's get into some wide receiver talk in the draft because um, I oddly got three or four questions related to wide receivers. Um, so we're going to take them all in bunches here. Um, Medwin Evans on Twitter asks, how would the members of PUD cast feel about drafting one of the top wide receivers prospects in the first round after trading back to say five or seven? I'm cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would be cool with Jerry Judy at number five. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely open to the idea and I can tell you, based on firsthand knowledge that one Alex Reno would be fine with Jerry Judy at three, which is a bit of a stretch for me. Um, but I, I mean, I, I wrote it about it a couple weeks ago on, on pride of Detroit. I think wide receivers are a top five need right now with Marvin Jones future up in the air. Technically Kenny Galladay's future is in the air and currently they don't have anyone behind those two. Yeah, I, I think wide receiver is a pretty significant need for this team, and I, I also think it's a pretty high impact um, position. 
that you can get immediate results from. And Jerry mm-hmm. Judy is, is, I mean, this is a talented class and I think an argument can be made that you maybe should, should wait and grab it. Cause you can get, you can get high impact guys. I mean, Terry McLaurin was, I believe a third round pick, so you can get some value late. Um, yeah. But if you get one of these kind of top tier guys, you could, you could have a seven, 800 yard receiver year one. And we know the lines are looking for some quick impact guys. That's true. And I, I will say the only counterpoint is that, Hey, say in this scenario, you trade back and you get the dolphins number five pick and you get their pick at 26. Mm-hmm. You can wait till 26 and you can still get a really good wide receiver. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, there's Jerry Judy, there's CD lamb, there's Henry Ruggs, there's, um, uh, T Higgins from Clemson. Mm-hmm. There are an awful lot of receivers who are really good. And I think that you're probably going to see at least three go in the first round. I think you're at least going to see CD lamb rugs and Judy. All three of those guys are going to go in the first round for sure, but you might have a chance at getting a really good wide receiver at 26 because while part of me is also enamored with Jerry Judy, maybe not as rich as number three, like Alex Reno, but I know that the Ryan back in November, if you would have told him that the Lions have an opportunity to get Jeffrey Okuda or Derek Brown or potentially even Chase Young at three, and they don't do that, would just tar and feather the ever-loving <laughs> shit out of past Ryan. There's right. no way. Like, to pass on a defensive talent, like, at this point, we're just getting cute or we're getting bored. Yeah, and and... and- it'd really be hard to fight that, you know, that devil on my shoulder is just like screaming defense, 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 defense. Um, it would definitely have to be a trade back scenario for me to be okay with it. I think it might have to be a trade back scenario where you're out of the top 10. Cause I think mm. this, t- this team really needs a blue chip defensive player and, and the depth in, in the draft is enough to tell me wait till the second round at least. But you mentioned a trade back scenario and potentially taking a wide receiver at 26, which leads us perfectly into our next Twitter question from Mickey B 91. Do you think Justin Jefferson from LSU would be a good fit with the lines with our second pick if he's available or even a trade back scenario where we get the 26 from Miami now before, if, if you're not that familiar with, with Justin Jefferson, let me, let me just tell you about his stats in 2019, 111 catches. 1,540 yards, 18 touchdowns. What? Joe Burrow, baby. I mean, that you have to kind of factor that in, right? Mm-hmm. I think you have like, to, I, I think you have to factor that in a little bit, but you also don't have to say it's the be all end all. Cause right. It always kind of lands like in the middle, but man, those are some impressive stats. And I think a guy like that would definitely be available at 26, right? Yeah. It's, it's the, the age old question though, that I have with him is, it's like, how much do you put into production? How much do you put into raw skill that you see out there? Because I like a lot of things about Justin Jefferson. I think he's a little bit slow. I think his routes are, are so, so I think he's more about contested catches, which I mean, Probably probably makes him fit in right right with who the lines currently have, and it's not a bad thing to have um, to be able to make contested catches. Um, but I, when I'm scouting, I kind of tend to pay more attention to the player rather than the stats, and because the stats can can fool you in, in both directions. You can have a ton of production if you have an all star quarterback that throws the ball a ton. Um, you can have shitty production if you have a horrible quarterback throwing to you all all the time um but it's also it's hard to tell how a player is going to translate to the nfl and so jefferson is a guy i think i would take in the second round i don't think i would necessarily take him with 26 and i know i know that's really you know that's 10 picks apart not even but Yeah, I I mean, I'm taking a look at the Draft Network's latest mock draft that just came out from uh, their, sorry, their writer, writer, their analyst, Jordan Reed. And they have five, or they have one, two, 
three, four, five, six, seven wide receivers going in the first round. Oof. So maybe, maybe if you wait too long and you wait in the second round, you're going to really start to get into the tier two guys or maybe even the tier three guys. I mean, I don't know how much you liked him at Michigan, but then you're starting to talk about players like Donovan Peoples Jones. Right. So. Okay. No, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, another question. This talks, this is more about the value of a wide receiver. Tim Val Valkenberg on Twitter asked Tim Van 06 is his handle. Who would impact the team more, Jerry Judy or Jeff Akuda? Oh, I think that question is kind of dependent on what Darius Slay is to the Detroit Lions in 2020. That's true. I think on a very basic level, the especially if you're talking about in the immediacy, like in 2020, who would impact the team more? I think you have to say wide receiver in general. You have to go Jerry Judy. He'd probably make more of an impact on the 2020 roster. While I do think some cornerbacks are kind of putting the be- to bed the whole, like you have to wait until year three thing. Um, in general, it still takes a little bit longer. And I think in terms of just overall value, I'm not sure how much Okuda will, will make in his rookie year. It's, it's tough to say though, because we also just tend to be pay more attention to guys who get stats, right? You pay more mm-hmm. attention to the guys who get flashy stats and fantasy points and all that sort of stuff. So maybe, maybe cornerbacks make just as big of an impact. They just don't put up points. I don't know. That's yeah. a tough one. That's a tough uh, question. I think, I think with Judy here, I think you run into the problem of how many weapons is too many weapons. Sure. And, is that player going to be involved in as many plays as you want them to be? Is the ball going to be able to get spread around enough for Marvin Jones and for Kenny Galladay and for TJ Hawkinson and for carry on Johnson and for, you know, another Bo. player, Bo. <laughs> JD McKissick. comes back. JD McKissick, his roster a one, right? Monster. <laughs> yeah. That and that's fair, and and you also kind of have to wonder: Is it, I mean, Okuda probably is the day one starter if he's if he's selected, but um, there'll be a little bit of a competition, I think, depending on what the team thinks of uh, Amani Orarie, who's probably going to be in the mix, and and I imagine the lines will probably bring in at least one corner via free agency. So we'll see. I I mean, but if you're drafting Okuda third overall, you're expecting him to start, if not week one probably before the bye week whenever yeah. they make them. Yeah. All right. While we're on the topic of, of cornerbacks, let's talk a little Darius Slay since he's in the news. Um, we're recording this Sunday night. Um, he has responded to some tweets tonight, which are pretty interesting. Um, one from uh, our buddy on Twitter, Logan. I'm not going to bother with his last name. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've never said it out loud, uh, but Logan had an article listing some of the most recent cornerback contracts, which vary from 14 to 15 million at the tops. Uh, and he suggested is, is that what Darius Slay is going to get? And Darius Slay responds. That's not enough. That's, that's too little for me. That number's too low. So we're talking 15, 16, 17 million for Darius Slay, a 29 year old, 17, yeah, twenty nine year old, seventeen million, Darius Slay. Ryan, what's your reaction to that? Because you look upset. I feel like just splashing the pot, splashing the pot. Pay the man his money. Just pay him. Just, just pay him and anyway. get it done. Yeah, just pay two, him and get it done. Two years, thirty four million. You're in. Teddy KGB. I'm all in. Give him. Can we can we not can we get like can we just erect a statue of him while we're at it? Three just years re- replace the Detroit fist with his face? Three years fifty one million. Is that so uh I believe that might be the Quandre Diggs got into it on Twitter. Oh, I think he said four years at sixty eight. Four years at sixty eight. Is that that comes out to seventeen to a season? Seventeen too. exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Four years, six. There's like, you can't agree with that, right? I would say yes to it. You would say yes to four years and six. It's not your money. That's why you're saying yes to it. <laughs> it's not my money. And also, he's a really good player. He is, but that's too much. You know what? If I was any other team and I wasn't the Lions, I would pay that man his money. But I think that this coaching staff has made it clear that life will go on without Darius. Lane. They are fighting it tooth and nail. And so I think we both staunchly agree that they're not going to give him a deal like that. I don't think they should. You don't think they should. I think they should. I think you I think you see Darius Lay go somewhere else and he just has another monster season. Well, yeah, because he's going to have better players around him. Oh. Not going to make it the wrong decision. There we go. There it is. <laughs> That's why Kyle right. Van Noy was so successful. <laughs> You'll see him in Honolulu Blue soon. Yeah, see, that, that has a better chance of happening than the Lions handing Darius Lee a $70 million contract. Are you kidding Literally, me? Literally, please, God. Are they just going to spend brain. like 90% of their cap on Stafford, Slay, and, and Flowers and just have... Three yeah. million for everyone else on the roster. Is that is that a good plan? Yeah, they're gonna sign Brad Kaya. They're <laughs> gonna get the they're gonna get the backup quarterback position all ironed out, and then they're gonna have enough money for their draft picks, and then they'll be done. <laughs> all right, staying on the slate topic. Jay Jones one six four from Pride of Detroit asks, let's say Slay can be dealt for a mid late mid to late first round pick if he won't extend in Detroit. Would you rather have? Darius Slay and Jeff Okuda for one year plus a 2022 third round compensatory pick. So basically not trading him, just holding on, holding onto him for that year for this yeah. final year of his contract. Or you make the trade, you get the 2020 mid to late first round pick. You, you pick up Chris Harris from free agency. You get Jeff Okuda. You have that combination for the next one to two years. And a late first round pick. Yes. I don't know if there is any guarantee. Is there a guarantee that Darius Slay would play next season? If it's guaranteed that Darius Slay would play next season, you get Darius Slay, you get Jeffrey Okuda, and you get third round compensatory pick. Yep. I would take that over Chris Harris Jr., late first round pick, Jeffrey Okuda. You're insane. I know you are you are either way too emotionally attached to Darius Slay or you are way too high on the Detroit Lions for 2020 and thinking that they can compete in the one year that Darius Slay stays. Depends on how big of an impact you think Jeffrey Okuda is going to make. If he if he if he's the player that you say he could be, if you end up drafting him and he is the second best player in the the second best defensive player in the draft. Yeah. It'll make a pretty big impact on your team. Because now all of a sudden you have Darius Slay, Justin Coleman, Jeffrey Okuda. You have some depth at that position. You have Oruwarie. You have whatever veteran corner that Bob Quinn will inevitably sign. I think all of a sudden think I'm not saying that Jeffrey Okuda turns them into contenders. I'm just saying that like they are a pretty confident football team. They would be with Chris Harris too. My unpopular opinion is that if you can get a first round for Darius Slay right now, you take it. Mm. He's, he's got your balls no in advice right now. He's got your balls in advice right now. You, you can't give him a, a four year deal. You can't give him 17 million a year. I mean, the only other option is to play out this one year and probably trade him at the deadline. Because you'll get a little bit more than a a third-round compensatory pick that the Lions might not even end up getting, depending on the CBA, depending on who they decide to sign next offseason. I mean, the Lions are stuck between a rock and a hard play. This is Golden Tate all over again. Three years, $50 million, do you do it? Three years, fifty million. So we're talking just over, talking about sixteen and a half a year or something. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No. Don't apologize to me. Apologize to every. The Lions should have signed him to apologize a fifteen, mil- 15 to- million year, three year deal, fifteen 
three or 45 million last year. That's what they should have done. They waited too long and now he's too expensive and too old. Yep. Okay. I want you to say that to every kid who has a Darius Slade jersey. Every I'll, kid. I'll scream it right in their face. Line <laughs> them up. <laughs> All right. You're, you're sick. Well, as as a as my gift to you for being such a jerk to your hypothetical little kids. Theo one zero three asks. What WWE wrestler would make the best strength and conditioning coach? Mm. Oh, you waited too long. We're, we're out of time. <sighs> <laughs> Look at that, Chad. I'm sorry. Well, it's been no. I'll I'll give you I'll give you a second. I faked you out again. Second straight week we've done a fake out end. Uh, it has to be Mark Henry, strongest Sex- man in the world. Yeah, sexual chocolate. I I really want the last words of this podcast to just be sexual chocolate. <laughs> then let it be sexual chocolate. Maybe that's my new sign off. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thanks for watching or listening to this week's podcast, Sexual Chocolate. <laughs>